Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to AWS Tech Chat. It's episode 26, so we're getting longer and older. So, guys, welcome back to another action-packed episode. And today with me, I have a special guest, and uh, it's Shane. Shane, did you want to do a quick intro of yourself? Yes, welcome, everybody. Um, my name is Shane Boldashino, and I'm a solution architect based here in Melbourne, Australia. And I work with household brands and partners of AWS to ensure they get the best possible result when running their workloads on AWS. Awesome. So listen, now around the office here, we call you Baby Chino. What's the backstory behind that? It's interesting. Okay. Um, it's something that a local office joker one day plastered on my desk and it's stuck ever since. I like to think it reflects on my useful young looks. What do you think, Pete? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> Absolutely. So Shane, how long have you been doing this IT thing for? A pretty long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm technology obsessed. Okay. How a, so? How so? Well, when I was a young fella, six years old, I took in the DOS operating system manual for show and tell. I wonder what my school teacher thought, and that bug has continued ever since for me. All right, so how did that work out for you doing cloud now, huh? <laughs> I think it's working out quite well. Awesome. So what else do you like to dabble with? Vintage computing. So, okay. you know, risk architectures, those older systems that no longer exist today. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about building control systems and my home is often re- referred to as Skynet. But yes. we might need another episode to discuss this. Uh, I think we have to have a whole dedicated, maybe a whole series for your uh, home automation solutions. But listen, um, back to the show. So um, great to have Shane here on with us today. And uh, as always, we kick off the show with a bit of an update as to, uh, you know, it's always day one here in AWS, but uh, we keep growing, we never stand still. So Shane, do you want to give us a quick update on uh, how much the actual AWS infrastructure globally has grown? The AWS cloud now spans 54 availability zones with 18 geographic regions and one local region around the world. We've announced plans for 12 more availability zones and four more regions in Bahrain, Hong Kong, SAR, Sweden, and a second AWS GovCloud region in the US. And what about our CloudFront locations? Because they keep growing all the time. They certainly are. I remember when we just hit 100 CloudFront Edge locations. And we're now at a total of 114 points of presence. 103 of those are Edge locations and 11 regional Edge cases in 56 cities across 24 countries. That's huge. And how about Korea? I think we launched one recently too. Yeah, we did. And that brings a total in South Korea to four. Wow, and uh, you know our customers always love price reductions. So how many price reductions have we actually uh, had now since, since we've started? We have had a total of 65 price reductions since AWS started today. That's awesome. That is truly, truly awesome. So Shane, I just heard you mention something called a local region. What exactly is a local, local region? Because that's a pretty much a new concept for, for many people. Really good question. And that was something I needed to dive a little bit deeper into as well. So Dr. Pete, a local region, is a new type of region that comprises of an isolated fault-tolerant infrastructure design located within a single data center. So it's a little bit different to a typical AWS region. And the Asia-Pacific Osaka local region Mm -hmm. consists of one availability zone as intended to be used in conjunction with the Tokyo region. This region requires customers request access through their local sales rep or solution architect. 
as of course. Now, now I had a look at the console and uh, I couldn't see it. So you do actually have to uh, talk to us about it, don't you? Yeah, you do. And I believe we've got there because of uh, a potential looming go Godzilla attack. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, this is a region that you cannot see and its services and functionality is a little bit different to a typical AWS region. Okay. You can take a look at the products and services offered for this region on our website, but you would uh, typically say that it has, you know, your more traditional computing services. Core infrastructure, right? Core infrastructure, yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. way to put it. Roughly the distance between Tokyo and Osaka is around 500 kilometers. So there's going to be more latency between Tokyo and, and Osaka than within a typical AWS region. So given the speed of light, you'll need to architect accordingly and your friendly AWS A can help you with this. And how fast exactly is the speed of light change? <laughs> mm, let me have a think about this. I think it is 299,792 <laughs> kilometers per second. Or for our friends in the United States, that is 186,282 miles per second. That is pretty cool. So speaking of our friends in North America, I think we've also got an extra availability zone in another one of our regions there. We do, and that is for the AWS GovCloud region. It has added a third availability zone. All right, so pop quiz for you, Shane, given you know the, the numbers so well. Um, what travels faster than the speed of light? Bad news? Yeah, that's, that's what I keep saying. <laughs> so have you ever been on a, on a project that hasn't been going so well? Have you ever noticed how fast the bad news travels? So uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It certainly is. So, so that um, you know, uh, Osaka um, location is kind of interesting for us because that kind of implies an, another edge, right? Another location. Um, and uh, one of the things that we've often talked about on the show has been Lambda at the edge, Shane. Can you maybe give us a bit of an update as to what's been happening with uh, Lambda at the edge and uh, CloudFront? Yeah, okay. Lambda at the edge enables you to further customize the delivery of content stored in the Amazon S3 bucket by allowing you to access individual whitelisted headers, including custom headers within origin-facing events. For example, you can configure Amazon CloudFront to cache and forward a country header to your S3 origin, and then use Lambda at the edge to dynamically redirect viewers to country-specific versions of your website based on their location. Okay, so Shane, that means that I have to use S3, or can I use, also use other origins as well? No, you can use external origins to Amazon S3 as well. Cool. Okay, so my own custom uh, on-premises or wherever else my uh, IP may reside. That's right, and that's why Amazon CloudFront, you know, it's very flexible. You don't just need to use an origin that's based within the AWS infrastructure. Got it. So to be clear, so what we're really doing is we're passing more custom headers over to the origin so we can take additional st additional functions. So in the past, what, what kind of um, headers did we actually pass over? Yeah, that's right. So in the past, we could only pass on three headers. That was the access control request headers, the mm -hmm. access control request method, and the origin. And this limited the ability to leverage a full potential of Lambda at the edge, as you could only use the cookies and query strings when you wanted to customize the delivery of content stored in S3 buckets. Nice, and do I pay any extra for that? No, not at all. Cool, okay, so it's another awesome feature which requires no cost. It's a Just value my, add. My, it's my favorite. <laughs> all right, so, so let's talk about some, uh, okay, so we talked about expansion of regions and uh, new locations. What about on the virtual machine, on the instances front? What, what can you tell us there about uh, uh, the new evolved uh, instance sizes and families and things? Okay, so we all know and love Amazon EC2, which provides us a wide selection of instance type, instance families. Mm -hmm. At last count, 15 instance families, which are optimized to fit different use cases. These instance families compromise varying combinations of CPU, memory, storage, and networking capacity, and gives you the flexibility to choose the appropriate mix of resources for your applications. Okay. 
So tell me more. Okay. So we recently added our H1 instance family, which is the latest generation of Amazon EC2 storage optimized instances. They're powered by the 2.3 gigahertz Intel Xeon Broadwell processors. And for those like myself who pay attention to the details, <laughs> it's an E5-2686 variant. And H1 instances offer more vCPUs and memory per terabyte of local magnetic storage compared to D2 instances. So they're designed for a specific use case here. Okay, such as? Such as, okay, they are ideal for applications that need really low-cost storage but high disk throughput and high sequential disk I.O. access to large data sets. So it's not going to be perfect, you know, for your um, OLTP databases here. You know, it's for a specific use case. And, you know, it's really, those instance types are ideal for data-intensive workloads such as MapReduce, Mm -hmm. distributed file systems such as HDFS and MapRFS, network file systems, backup servers, or data processing applications such as Apache Kafka and big data workloads. Okay. Okay. And how much RAM do I get in these things? It varies, but it can go up to 256 gigabytes of RAM with 64 vCPUs. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we mentioned that these instances are designed for sequential disk I.O. They can deliver a whopping 1.15 gigabits of read-write with two megabit block sizes. Wow, I mean, in the past, I've been accused of getting super excited about new instance types, but uh, I think you you win today. And how about networking? What kind of speeds can I get with the the H1s? And that also varies between, you know, what instance type within the family that you choose, but it ranges from 10 gigabits per second all the way up to 25 gigabits with our Elastic Network Adapter technology. That's pretty awesome. Love it. Love it. So Shane, what will you do with all this capacity? Man. Let me think. I think uh, deep learning AMIs. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so for those, for those of you who've tuned in in the past, and I've spoken about uh, the deep learning uh, Amazon machine image, and um, the uh, AWS Deep Learning Amy provides you know lots of lots of um, access to practitioners, researchers to uh, quickly get started at any scale uh, to experiment with building um, you know uh, deep learning and machine learning on AWS. So essentially, um, it's a pre-configured uh, machine image which you can start on uh, a number of different uh, virtual machine family types. Uh, and it comes pre-configured with things like um, deep learning frameworks like Apache, uh, MXNet, uh, TensorFlow, Microsoft Cognitive Toolkit, CAFE, CAFE2, Theano, Torch, uh, PyTorch, uh, Chainer, and Keras, just to name a few. Um, and the idea is that it's often really difficult to set these uh, frameworks up yourself. You can spend a lot of time um, getting you know, just your infrastructure ready to do some experimentation in terms of doing and building AI. So uh, the uh, Deep uh, Learning Amy is actually free. Uh, You only pay for the instance that you actually launch, Shane, so that's really cool. It is really cool. And look, and I can testify to that, that setting some of these frameworks up, unless you're yourself, Dr. Pete, um, you know, who dabbles in this quite regularly, this can take a lot of time. So having, you know, a pre-configured Amy that you can quickly spin up and, you know, run with these tools is a time saver. Cool. At the very least. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, so pop quiz here, Shane. Do you know how many uh, TensorFlow projects run in the cloud? It's got to be uh, hundreds of thousands. Yeah, that's a lot. Any idea what the percentage could look like? No? 70%? 80%? bit higher than that, I think. How about 88%? Yep, you got right on the money. So if you actually um, look at some of these um, 
you know, lots of experiments running in the cloud because obviously having access to uh, cost-effective storage and compute is, is awesome. So uh, we actually found through Nucleus Research has revealed that uh, um, about 88% of TensorFlow projects run in AWS alone which is pretty damn wow. impressive. Wow, it is. And you know, that's actually a great segue into one of my new favorite services, and that's um, SageMaker. Amazon SageMaker is globally available, and it's a really, really important service in my opinion. It's a complete game changer, because uh, when you experiment with things like the um, deep learning, Amy, for example, or you've built your own deep learning um, uh, pipeline, you know, essentially you know, how you get your data to, to compute to do all your experimentation on and running your algorithms upon, um, that's a lot of heavy lifting. So we actually uh, you know, stood back, looked at how this could be done, and we've realized there's a pipeline required. The pipeline really is made up of, you need to be able to build your infrastructure, so get your highly optimized infrastructure in place, get access to your data, then run through a whole bunch of training activities, which are often quite interactive, because you have to play with parameters, and even though um, you know, deep learning and AI is a bit of a, you know, it's a tech thing, it's also a bit of an art, so you need to play with parameters, and there's lots of tweaking required. And then once you've built your models, once you've trained them on maybe hundreds, if not millions, of different data points, you then need to be able to deploy it. So Amazon, Amazon SageMaker is really a is, is a is a service that helps you build, train, and deploy machine learning models at scale sharing. It's a really powerful way of actually um, getting your infrastructure out there. So um, can I talk some more on this? Please. Can I say something? Go yeah, ahead. I love it. I'm so excited about this. So, so SageMaker is a fully managed service and helps developers, you know, data scientists, and all, almost any developer to be able to really quickly spin up uh, their framework to be able to, uh, to understand and play all these things. Now, if, you, if you're new to this, don't be, don't be afraid. Um, when you spin up the service, you can also click through to uh, our documentation and we'll actually walk you through some guides on actually how to set up the environment. So the first thing we do is we set up the build. So the first part of the pipeline is to build the environment. So we actually run and host for you um, Jupyter Notebooks. So Jupyter Notebooks are essentially nothing more than a very fancy in the browser way of running code to be able to do, uh, you know, to experiment. And these notebooks are preloaded with things like CUDA and CU CUDA drivers, which are very popular uh, on um, those deep learning frameworks in order to be able to get access to the underlying hardware in many cases. So those Jupyter notebooks come with a, a high, uh, lots of high performing algorithms. In fact, um, a number of our folks inside AWS have worked really closely and they've taken uh, things like uh, TensorFlow and MX and they've actually optimize the algorithms that are actually running in there and uh, they've been optimized for petabyte scale data sets. That's a huge data set, just to be think about it. And uh, we've managed to actually get up to 10 times performance improvements of on many of these algorithms. So um, these are really awesome because you can actually do things like run these um, uh, you know, algorithms like XGBoost, uh, linear logistic regression algorithms, which are generally supervised ways of uh, training your um, yeah, your models, but also we've come. These th these things come with uh, pre-configured, um, you know, unsupervised learning uh, algorithms like k-means for clustering, principal component analysis, or PCAs, uh, to solve problems like you know doing grouping uh, and essentially doing unsupervised learning. So we've covered all the angles here. Um, and if you think that's not enough for you because you're a super duper advanced AI person, uh, you can actually extend and bring your own uh, computational models. Uh, to Amazon SageMaker by building them into a Docker container, um, storing them in the Amazon EC2 container registry and have these actually kick off as part of your, your build process inside those Jupyter workbooks. So think of it as 
the, the, build, the build phase is really all about being able to uh, interactively experiment with your data set. And we've optimized the algorithms that generally would be quite slow um, and uh, made them 10, 10 times faster, Shane. Wowee. Can I uh, use SageMaker to create a model for the stock market? <laughs> you certainly could, and I'm sure there are lots of people out there who are trying to do that as we speak. Um, so, so once you've been playing with those models, yes, you certainly can. So you'll be doing that inside Jupyter. And then once you've actually trained your data set, um, you simply just do a one-click deploy. So that means you've built the model, you've trained it on your billions of transactions, you've downloaded all those uh, data sets into your data lake on S3, and you've now started to consume that. So, um, and, and how would I consume this? Well, uh, programmatically quite often. So usually you'd build a model, uh, you would deploy it, uh, and what we will do behind the scene is when we actually deploy the model, um, we actually uh, spin up infrastructure for you behind the scenes. So we'll set up an automated auto-scaling group behind the scenes. We'll give you a, um, so basically it's a fully hosted managed part on top of which we'll actually take your model and run it upon. Uh, we'll also do all the patching underneath the operating systems to make sure everything's up to speed and we'll give you an API endpoint. That API endpoint can then be consumed by your applications. It's a secure connection, so it's a HTTPS connection uh, so that you can then very quickly within minutes effectively integrate your application be a client, web, whatever it might be, with the hosted running model that you've trained. And if you really want to be sophisticated and you want to experiment as you often do even after you've gone into production, we also allow you to do automatic A-B testing. In other words, you can substitute up to five different models and then load balance and actually send a percentage of traffic to a different model to be able to experiment with uh, the, the different, uh, I guess, training environments you've actually come up with. So what I'm hearing here is the ability to integrate as a developer into my third-party applications is really easy with Amazon StageMaker. It really is. And uh, I don't get to say this, but also as you do the training, training, that's the art piece I was talking about. Training can be really, really hard. So one of the things that you can actually do is we have this thing called uh, hyperparameter optimization. And the idea is that quite often you run the same training model with a few tweaks around the edges. What we allow you to do is actually spin up lots and lots of uh, instances, uh, both with or without GPU, you tell us, um, and then we will actually run those models to do the training for as long as it takes. Now, quite often, if you've been doing this yourself on your own instances, you often may finish the training at you know, two, three, four in the morning when you're actually asleep. What we will do is we will actually turn off the infrastructure after the model's actually been trained. So you can actually get some substantial cost reductions, but also we can actually help you to fan out and be able to address much wider range of parameters, which generally you'd be tweaking by hand. So we've really you know, changed the game when it comes to um, building AI models, Shane. Fantastic. Something I look forward to having a play with. Yes, and look, you're, you're a gadget guy. Okay, so I assume now I've got this model. <laughs> Where else do you think you could possibly use it? I am a gadget guy, and I would probably put this model in a device, maybe a camera perhaps. That sounds cool. What sort of camera? Mm, maybe an AWS DeepLens. Sounds good to me. AWS DeepLens is the world's first deep learning enabled video camera for developers. Cool. It is. AWS DeepLens allows developers of all skill levels to get started with deep learning in less than 10 minutes by providing sample projects with practical hands-on examples which can start running with a single click. It's custom built for deep learning. So AWS DeepLens was designed with deep learning in mind. With 100 gigaflops of computing power on the device, you can process deep learning predictions on a HD video in real time. So let me just stop you there, Shane. So what exactly is 100 gigaflops? Well, 
it's a phenomenal amount of performance if you think about it. Okay. Just to level set, flops or floating point operations per second is a measurement of computing performance useful in fields of scientific computations that requiring floating point calculations. Mm-hmm. If you look at a modern computer without GPU acceleration, such as the, you know, the newly released AMD Ryzen or Intel Broadwell, they are in the vicinity of 30 to 50 flops, depending on the number of cores. And this means this little deep lens package packs a serious amount of punch. So it's like a little, it's like a little mini with the engine of a Ferrari. It is. Yeah, cool. Okay, so so what can I do with what can I do with um, this deep lens camera? So you can build custom models with Amazon SageMaker. So models trained in Amazon SageMaker can be sent to AWS DeepLens with just a few clicks from the AWS Management Console. It has a broad amount of support for multiple frameworks. Mm-hmm. So AWS developers can run deep learning frameworks including TensorFlow and Cafe. Okay. Deep, DeepLens comes pre-installed with a high-performance, efficient, optimized inference engine for deep learning using Apache MXNet. Okay, so what I'm hearing is you can basically run all the inferences on the camera locally. So you've trained a model in the cloud in SageMaker, and then you push it out you know, in minutes to one of these cool little camera devices. That's right. And it doesn't stop there. So oh, there's more. There is more. DeepLens can integrate with Amazon Recognition for advanced image analysis, SageMaker for training models, and with Amazon Poly to create speech-enabled projects. The device also connects securely to the wide range of AWS building blocks, including AWS IoT, Amazon SQS, Amazon SNS, Amazon S3, Amazon DynamoDB, and more. I needed to take a breath there. There's that many. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so this is a fully programmable um, device that basically can take native you know, um, access to our core services fundamentally. Correct. You know, it's and it's really easy to customize. You know, as you mentioned, it's fully programmable using the uh, language that most of us, with uh, wearing the dev hats out there, are familiar with today, which is AWS Lambda. Okay. These deep learning models in DeepLens run even as part of an AWS Lambda function, providing you know that familiar programming environment that you can experiment with. Cool. So I can also get my Lambda stuff running. Cool. Get my get my serverless kicks on a device. <laughs> Fantastic. So Shane, um, where do I go? and get one of these awesome devices. Well, Dr. Pete, they can be pre-ordered today from amazon.com and they cost $249 and will ship in mid-June. Mid-June, okay, that's still not quite here yet. Um, So if I'm a builder, which I am, uh, what would I do if I wanted to get my hands on it early? What are my options? Well, I think you could uh, build this yourself perhaps. Uh, Are you implying I could maybe use the AWS Greengrass ML uh, inference service that we've just released. Is that I, what you're saying? I am implying that. <laughs> and knowing your capabilities, I have no doubt you'd be able to build this. <laughs> and uh, hopefully our kids could, could do, do as well. Um, so AWS Greengrass ML Inference is currently in preview. And what it does is let, lets you run machine learning models on the edge. In other words, on a device, which is pretty impressive. So uh, we've talked about Greengrass in the past. And Greengrass fundamentally is software that lets you run local compute, messaging, data caching, sync, uh, with connected devices in a secure way. Because obviously, uh, you know, devices go out in the field, uh, network connectivity comes and goes, but you still want to be able to have a very smart device at the edge that may want to do its own thing, aka like the DeepLens device and let it locally do inferencing and you know, image analysis and do its own thing. So if I want to build my own device, I would certainly consider 
uh, which is going to be smart device, consider the Greengrass machine learning interface capability where you can actually uh, do all your local computation. So, you know, we have pre-built packages for things like Apache MXNet, uh, so you can do your local, um, you know, analysis of images as an example, or other things, by the way. Um, and what's nice about this is that we also provide you uh, access to the GPUs and field programmable gate arrays um, that may be part of the hardware package that you're actually using. So the idea is that uh, as people build devices, it's a pretty difficult thing to do to be able to uh, take over the actual um, hardware and so forth. And uh, so what we're doing, we're taking, uh, taking away that heavy lifting and uh, giving you a service that actually helps you to uh, very quickly take your models, uh, you know, click a few buttons in the console and have these things pushed out so that you can actually create your own devices uh, out in the field. So it's highly flexible, so it takes, for example, um, advantage of, like I said, of all the, uh, the, the runtime frameworks like MXNet, TensorFlow, CAFE, um, CNTK, uh, but also you know, using NVIDIA you know, a Jetson device or an Intel Apollo uh, Lake devices, even Raspberry Pis uh, can actually be used with uh, Greengrass ML interface. So that's pretty cool. And um, uh, the other interesting thing about that is if you've actually got a device, um, then you probably want to control the operating system, right? So, so uh, you know, this is all cool. So, so Shane, being, being a tinkering guy that you are, you know, what else could you actually ask for? Would you want your own operating system perhaps? Absolutely. And with that, you know, whilst we live in the cloud, it's not a silver bullet for every application. Latency can be a problem for some applications. You know, in a past life, I worked in a manufacturing space. And for some scenarios, decision making must continue to be executed locally, irrespective. So we're talking about, you know, high value safety critical processes must always continue working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Dr. Pete, you know, we're flying a plane here. We really don't want to risk, you know, network connectivity problems back to the cloud. We need to have this local compute. Yeah, look, and Wi-Fi is great on planes, but it does drop out every now and again, right? It surely does. <laughs> I was, uh, I think I was watching Netflix last week, and I was halfway through an episode, and I was shattered. Right. Well, there you go. And, and I was at home with your fast you know, broadband connection. No, this was on the plane, actually. On the, pl on the plane? On the plane. Oh, wow. You probably killed everybody else's traffic. I think I did. I was actually <laughs> thinking, do they quad stuff? But we digress. We do. Okay. So, look, as someone who's been involved with PLCs and microcontrollers for some time, and I continue to dabble weekly, their limited CPU and RAM, you know, confines them to performing traditional I.O. operations, you know, so mm -hmm. your serial, your I2C, your analog, your digital I.O. You know, if you look... If you step back and look through a wider lens, the needle really hasn't shifted for many years Yeah. until and, now. And running Linux often doesn't actually do its justice, right? Because it's a much too heavy OS for a small device, right? It's underpowered. Well, you may not be able to. You know, the yeah. limited CPU and RAM, some of these Correct. devices might have 32 kilobytes of RAM. Yeah, which is nothing, right? No. So what's the solution, Shane? What do we do? So Amazon Free RTOS, that's a solution. And this was announced at reInvent, and it is now GA. And it's an operating system for microcontrollers that makes small, low-power edge devices easy to program, mm -hmm. deploy, secure, connect, and manage. Amazon FreeRTOS is based on the FreeRTOS kernel, which is a popular open-source operating system for microcontrollers, but it extends it with software libraries that make it easy to securely connect to the AWS cloud services like the AWS IoT Core or to more powerful edge services such as Greengrass to which we just spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. For example, smart electricity meters need to connect to the cloud to report on usage and building security systems need to communicate locally so that a door will unlock when you badge in. 
Free RTOS supports various types of microcontrollers, but for the tinkerers and builders amongst us here, you can get started with the ever popular ESP32 dev kit. So this should only cost you know ten or twenty dollars depending on your local currency. And that's like an Arduino kind of a related device, right? Yeah, I like to think of it as an Arduino on steroids, like <laughs> a, or a version two. You can use the Arduino IDE to manage your ESP32. Okay, so now that we have a full stack, Shane, so we've got your OS, custom images, and packages for GPUs and other hardware. You can deploy Lambda functions onto devices with, with, with um, green grass. You can now push AI and ML models to the edge. Um, there is one more piece I think we still need here, right? And that is, you know, if you're doing this with one device, you can probably do it by hand manually. Um, but with all this cool stuff on, you know, hundreds, thousands, and millions of devices, we still need one more piece, I think, here. Yeah. That's true. And sticking with our IoT theme, as you mentioned, having to manage IoT devices has typically been a challenge. You know, even just to enroll a single device, you need to register it, activate a device certificate, create an IoT policy, attach that certificate, and finally configure your device. Not something you want to do at scale, and let alone managing these on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a big job, right? It's huge. It's, it is a huge job. And something that has gone GA since reInvent is AWS IoT Device Management. AWS IoT Device Management makes it easy to securely onboard, organize, monitor, and remotely manage IoT devices at scale. So not only can you perform IoT device management at scale, but you can perform maintenance tasks such as firmware updates via over the air. This allows you to scale your device fleets and reduce the cost and effort in managing large IoT device deployments. AWS IoT Device Management takes care of the undifferentiated heavy lifting for you. So this means you can focus on building that next fitness tracker or ultimately tasks that bring your customers real value. Okay, so so let's think about this for a second. So we've been talking about the plumbing for quite a bit. You know, talked about you know the hardware, devices, OS. You know, that's a lot of heavy lifting that not everyone's actually up for. I don't know some of us are more up for it than others. Um, but uh, you know, what if there was another an easier way, Shane? Would you opt for that? Maybe a programmatic way? I think I would. You know, if it had an API endpoint, that would be easy to integrate into okay. given solutions. Okay, so what about things like, you know, some of the other existing services like, you know, Lex for chatbots and Poly for audio and stuff like that? That would be fantastic. You know, we can, we can today speak, converse and see, wouldn't it be great if we could do a lot more than that? Yeah, we certainly can. And uh, Recognition has been doing a lot of image analysis for a while. And uh, now we can add to the, uh, the family of uh, you know, Amazon managed services for you, um, Amazon Recognition Video, which is uh, also going globally. And it's available right now. And it's designed for analyzing activities and recognize and track people in, uh, inside a video frame uh, and be able to also do this in real time, which is actually very cool. So uh, this is a great server that builds on the um, many uh, lessons learned from Amazon Recognition, which was a video static image where you could actually find faces and so forth. So uh, Recognition Video is really another a deep learning uh, service that we have that actually helps you know track the individuals in frame uh, and also tell you some really cool stuff like what activities are people doing you know um, and if you watch the video uh, that's on our website about the service introduction and it talks to people you know skating and blowing out candles uh, and the service can actually detect all these really interesting things uh, and also do it in live frame so you've got a lot of webcams at home Shane uh, in your smart home and I know we were talking about this before the episode that uh, you may want to wire up uh, your video webcams to be able to see who's coming up to your house in your front door. Correct. And, you know, recognition video would make this a lot easier. It would remove a lot of the heavy lifting, to which typically I'd have to use a development library like OpenCV to perform this function. 
Yeah, so in this case, you can just you know, leverage our service, use the, use the APIs, um, and uh, you know, push out the live frames. Or you can actually you know, do bulk analysis and do an S3, upload your files, your video files, into uh, an S3 bucket, and then have this service actually analyze what's actually in there. So it's really cool for real time, and also for batch work. It's great for uh, identifying people who are in the frame. So you can do people tracking, you can do face recognition, uh, you can do facial analysis, so you can detect the face, but also understand whether their eyes are closed closed or open, um, you know, you know what, what these people are potentially feeling from, a, from an emotive perspective, so sentiment analysis, you know, detect the objects and uh, many other things within the frame. The other cool thing is you can also um, follow people around. The service will actually tell you uh, when someone is moving in and out of frame. Um, you can also detect celebrities, so uh, if you're trying to find uh, your favorite uh, celebrity inside a video clip or maybe find uh, your children in some of your video clips you may have recorded, and we all have plenty of those, uh, you can certainly do, do that either through the console, through the API, or, or the command line tools. And what's also cool about this is that uh, you can also, um, recognition supports integration with the uh, AWS Identity and Access Management, so that means it's actually secure. It's, you, know, you have policies that actually allow you access to that. So, so Shane, um, you know, it's quite a nice little service it, that uh, lets you do bulk assessment of videos and you know, basically infer what's in there. It sure is. So what I'm hearing here is I could use recognition video to kick off orchestration within my house. So <laughs> You could. When my mother-in-law comes over, maybe I could take some form of action within my house. Hopefully open the door, right? That's what you're going to do, aren't you? Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. So we have some other services, Shane. Any, any other use cases you'd like me to, uh, to tackle? So look, it's all good. You can do this magic, Dr. Pete. But, you know, I've got a customer who's got a call center and wants to convert uh -huh. hundreds of thousands of hours of call recordings to text for quality and training purposes. You know, I've always wondered what companies do with this. They say training and quality and training purposes. What could we do with them? Yeah, well, well, we have a service for that. And it's, uh, it's in preview, it's called Amazon Transcribe. And Amazon Transcribe is an automatic speech recognition service that makes it really easy for devs to be able to add um, speech to text capabilities to their application. So essentially, you can take uh, you know, an audio feed, um, you know, put it in S3, like your call center a customer could, and often do, by the way, lots of, uh, lots of uh, call records are sitting um, in, uh, in S3. Uh, in case if you are using Amazon Connect, which is our call center in a cloud service, uh, you can have your call recordings there. Um, and what the service will do is it'll actually um, go through the speech and be able to uh, detect what's actually been said which is pretty cool because that way you can then get a text transcription uh, of what's actually been said. Now the nice thing about that is um, you know, the service can take you know, WAV files, MP3 files, um, and every time it finds a word, it actually creates a, creates a timestamp. So you know exactly what was said and when. So if you ever need to go back um, and play back what's actually been said, that's really cool. And I've had customers in the past, by the way, who've actually had to keep the call records for quite a while because uh, many times a customer may actually order something over the phone. Uh, and when an item arrives, they may dispute that. So quite often, many of the call centers that actually do take phone orders will go back and play back to the customer exactly what they actually asked in the order. Uh, to determine whether the, the error was made either with the customer or with the call center operator. So very, very useful thing. Mm -hmm. um, the other nice thing about it is that um, uh, it supports multiple languages. At the moment, it does transcription of US English and Spanish speech, but uh, look out, there are more languages coming soon. Uh, and also, um, just around the corner, we're going to be able to do multiple speaker detection as well. So we can detect multiple speakers that are there, as well as uh, you'll be able to add your custom vocabulary. So 
quite often um, we've had many customers say, you know, things are spoken in a certain way. Um, can we map that to a different text? So uh, uh, that is also just around the corner. So Shane, you know, we can now transcribe, you know, audio recordings to uh, to text. Um, so hopefully that can be used for, um, you know, quality training purposes. <laughs> okay, so we just transcribed our audio recordings using Amazon Transcribe. Yep. But my customer is also thinking of expanding overseas. Let me talk to you about Amazon Translate, which is in preview, uh-huh. to which they could use to train their overseas staff using the same conversations we use with Amazon Transcribe. Of course. So Amazon Translate is a neural machine translation service that delivers fast, high quality, and affordable language translation. Amazon, and, and yep. what language does it support? It supports six at the moment, okay. and that is English, Arabic, simplified Chinese, French, German, Spanish and Portuguese, and we'll add more languages when we make the service generally available. Nice. So it's about twelve, what twelve different language pairs, I think, from the math. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, so okay. Now I can take those transcribed text records and then put them through this service, and then have them, you know, available for quality and training p- purposes in you know six other different languages. Absolutely. Cool. Well, look, if that wasn't enough, you know, quite often what uh, a lot of call center operators, and in fact anybody who's been dealing with text knows, it's really hard to get information or I guess you know uh, value out of documents sometimes. It's really hard. So we actually have a service called Amazon Comprehend that could also take that transcribed. Um, text um, and then give us some you know insights. So Amazon Comprehend is a natural language processing that helps you discover insights from your text corpus, uh, your body of text, right? And what it will do is it basically um, and analyzes and looks for things like key phrases. I can also tell you what language, by the way, Shane, this, this document has come in. Uh, it tells you when it finds a place, a person, a brand, or even an event, like a point in time event that was mentioned. And what's nice about it is that it can also be used to detect sentiment whether something that was written is positive or negative. So if you were to uh, go back to your stock trading question earlier, could I build an AI service to detect stock trends? Well, you know, one thing you could build, and uh, you know, we have heard of customers building some of these systems where you could actually you know, look at a share price and look at all of the uh, press that's actually surrounding the share price uh, and uh, do uh, you know, sentiment analysis and all the public stories that are written to say are they positive or negative and then map that against the share price. So yep. lots of positive stories hopefully means greater, better share price. I hope so. And look, sentiment analysis is really important to a lot of companies these days. Um, you could use Amazon Comprehend to provide sentiment analysis of social media feeds. Spot on. Twitter, right? E- even your emails. You know, is this email that was sent you know, irate by the customer? Are they happy, sad? Whatever that might be the case. Um, you know, the other nice thing about uh, Amazon Comprehend is that it doesn't just do that. It also helps you do something really unique, and that is be able uh, to actually classify your documents into categories. So if you've got, a, like I said, a large corpus of text, lots of documents, you may not know, you know, how they relate. So by putting it through the service, um, we can actually create, uh, you know, essentially, uh, you know, a topic analysis. What what are these documents about? And then be able to give you that programmatically so that you can actually see what's going on in that document set. And quite often, you know, if you're a law firm or a organization that deals with lots of digital data, and that means almost everybody these days, uh, you can certainly use Amazon Comprehend to get more insights from documents. And, you know, we've had a chat to a few lawyers, law firms, and, you know, they said it would be great if we could actually find out how much a case, you know, settled for. You know, instead of reading through documents and writing, you know, regex expressions to parse text, uh, you could actually put it through, um, through the actual service to be able to extract, you know, uh, you know, 
information, key phrases and things like that, like the word settlement and those kind of things um, with certain people or certain organizations. So you could actually build, you know, graph databases and views of, uh, of how things could look like. Okay. So, interesting stuff. So as a developer, how would I deal with Amazon Comprehend? Well, that's hopefully pretty straightforward, like every other service. You have an API. Um, that you can basically you know, connect to your application um, and be able to actually submit your documents, uh, point at the actual service, um, and off you go. Very impressive. Cool. So that's a lot of stuff we've covered so far, isn't it, Shane? Wow, it sure has. And hasn't time fl flown today? It has. And look, so we've had a huge episode, guys. We've talked about AI, you know, either do it yourself in the plumbing level or perhaps using and leveraging uh, and letting AWS, you know, um, you know, run the AI services for you. So we've talked about, you know, your apps can now actually see and analyze what they see with um, video streams. Uh, they can also hear and convert that into text and convert that text to other languages. And finally, once you've got that text, you know, the services can actually read and classify them for you uh, and give you access to some key artifact in those documents. Wow, man, it's, uh, you know, AI really is here with no heavy lifting for our customers, Shane, and uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, it's AWS Global Summit season. It is indeed. So summit's upon us and we have global sponsors, uh, Intel and VMware. We have 30 plus summit locations, five in North America, two in Latin America, six in Asia Pacific, 12 in Europe, two in Japan, and five in Greater China. You can find more information about AWS Summits at the AWS Summit webpage at aws.amazon.com forward slash summits. Indeed, and uh, look, the, Sid the Sydney Summit, which is very close to my heart and yours, uh, is uh, only a couple of weeks away. So, uh, so Shane, what will you be speaking about at the Sydney Summit? Good question. Okay, so this was kind of born out of a past life. And look, mm -hmm. traditionally, security has been static and really expensive. But today we live in 2018 and security can no longer be looked at in isolation. So my session will illustrate how you can augment traditional security services with development services to create a border that reacts to what is occurring in your environment, allowing you to create a self-defending architecture to protect your online assets. I like that self-defending architecture. So this is, this is like a, you know, <laughs> the most ultimate robotic self-defense under the sun. It's living and breathing, it's yeah. <laughs> So, you know, development services to augment traditional security services. And what day is that on? It kicks off day two on the security track. And if you're attending Sydney Summit, I'd love to see you there. Uh, you certainly will. So, Pete, what are you doing at the Summit? So, uh, I've been doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work, but uh, I must tell you that uh, uh, Twitch TV may be there. Um, the Tech Chat hosts will most likely be there. So, uh, you know, please drop by. Uh, come and see us on many of the stands. Uh, come and say hi. Give us some feedback about the show. Uh, but most of all, it's going to be three days packed of, uh, of activities. So, uh, come check out one of the biggest summits uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. I think it will be the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere, in fact. So, come and see us. Uh, we hope you've really enjoyed the show. And, Shane, thank you for joining me this, uh, this episode. Really appreciate you having Thank you very us. much, everyone. And we'll see you next episode. Bye for now. See you later. Signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com. <laughs>